In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit, the Holy Three in One, who has called us to be still and know that He is God. Dear brothers and sisters in Christ, I've done a few different Lents, and I've done Lent in several different ways, and I've done things that have been difficult for Lent. I've given things up that have been difficult for Lent. I have taken things on that have been difficult for Lent. I have done all sorts of things. I have even failed spectacularly for Lent, saying, oh, I'm going to give up this thing, and then we get into the season of Lent, and I go... It's already St. Patrick's Day, which usually kind of falls early to middle, and I've already failed to a point where it just didn't seem like I could start it all over again. And I've given up several different things uh, for Lent. I've, I've given up alcohol for Lent. I've given up coffee for Lent. I've given up uh, sweets for Lent. I've given up all sorts of things. And, you know, it, it kind of brings to mind, okay, well, what's, what's the most difficult thing to do for Lent? I've, I've even added some things into Lent. I've, I've added prayer time. I've added time to uh, read. Uh, I've, I've added time to um, uh, do all sorts of different things. One year, I I actually took it upon myself to uh, pray kind of a, a Lutheran version of the rosary. That one was way difficult um, uh, because I was going to do it every day. Um, uh, and that takes a long, long time. Uh, you have to get up early in the morning in order to schedule enough time to do that. And so the, the kind of question that we have a lot of times as we approach Lent is, you know, sometimes we're kind of like, well, I had that, that kind of New Year's resolution that I could just kind of re up um, and fail at that one all over again. Or, or there, there's something else that I could do, but there's, there's all of this stuff out there that, that could be difficult for us to do. There's all sorts of Christian disciplines that we could put ourselves into the practice of. And yet, we don't want to choose something too difficult because we're afraid that we'll fail. We don't like to see ourselves as failures, even in Lent. And the irony there is supposed to be palpable. Lent, a time in which we are purposefully recognizing that we are sinners and we do need to repent and that our righteousness is not full. We don't want to fail. Well, that got me this year to start looking up, okay, what, well, what was the historic fast of Lent like? Yeah, we, we've made the fast of Lent into all sorts of different things. And, and so I said, well, what, what was this like? The, the season of Lent and the practice of fasting have been around since about the 300s A.D., and the, there's all sorts of history of what the fast of Lent has been like, and the first thing about the fast of Lent was that usually there were two days that were called black fast that you didn't eat anything at all, Ash Wednesday and Good Friday. And then after that, you were able to actually eat some stuff. Uh, however, the way that this normally worked, at least from the, the documents that we have, which honestly are just from the Middle Ages, so there's a whole lot of history that happens before that, but the documents from the Middle Ages say that if you were going to 
experience Lent and fast for Lent, that this is what you would do. You would get up in the morning and you would wash your face. That's a purposeful thing. You would wash your face because that's what is said in Matthew. You would get up, you would wash your face, and then you wouldn't eat anything until 3 p.m. And at 3 p.m., which was the hour in which Jesus died on the cross, at 3 p.m., you got a little bit of a break. You got this break that you could eat the following. Bread, vegetables, salt. That's it. So for all of you that feel like you're doing really well because you get a filet of fish on Friday... You're still not getting a broccoli sandwich on Tuesday. (laughs) And you would do that for the whole week until you got to Sunday. And on Sunday, you actually got to have one extra meal. And in that one extra meal, you could have watered down beer. Now, I'm not sure if that was supposed to be something that increased your joy or actually lessened your joy. (laughs) That was like, oh, today I get a Michelob Ultra. (laughs) I don't know. But but it kind of brings up that question. Okay, well, uh, could you do that? If you tried, you know, if you want to do that, there's a whole different story. But could you do that? Could you do that? How difficult would that be to to be like, okay, I'm not going to eat anything until 3 o'clock, and then I'm going to have a broccoli sandwich, and then I'm going to not eat anything until my next broccoli sandwich. That that would be difficult for many of us, and for many of us, we, we would probably fail at some point in that. And so we start looking around, and we start going, okay, well, Lent is coming up, so maybe I have to give something up. Or maybe I should give something up. Maybe that's some spiritual discipline that I should engage myself in. And maybe that doesn't have to be around food for you. Maybe that's around some kind of spiritual practice. Maybe that's around something else. But you you start going, okay, well, what is too difficult and what is not difficult enough that I'm just, you know, going to feel like, oh, well, that's okay. You know, I, I didn't eat that thing to begin with. For me, that would be like, I'm not going to eat canned tuna. I don't eat canned tuna any of the other days of the year, so I'm good to go. I think that stuff is gross. And, and, and so you kind of come up with this kind of thing, okay, what can I do? Well, I think the gospel reading for, for this Sunday, it, it kind of shows us something that might be really difficult for us to give up on. Something that might be super duper difficult for us to get. It, it may actually make the broccoli sandwich look good. You see, as we see Peter and James and John ascend this mountain with Jesus where he is transfigured before them, we have this moment, this brief little moment that we have with the disciples that is so telling of our human nature that it has to be mentioned. And so you have Jesus there 
with Moses and Elijah. And there's this great moment where he's transfigured and his clothes are bright and shiny and it's awesome. And Peter comes up to him and says, Lord, it's good for us to be here. Let me make some tents for you. And you can, just for a moment, you don't get any words from Jesus, but you can imagine what his face looked like. That kind of Peter. My father has given you this moment where he has transfigured me before you on top of this mountain. He has made people that are have been dead for centuries show up. You think he just forgot about the camping gear? And so you have this moment where Peter goes up and he goes, Lord, it's good for us to be here. I want to get busy. And how often is that our response to God? How often is our response to God, Lord, it's good for me to be here. Let's figure out what I do. And just in that moment for Peter, this bright cloud envelops them. And you hear this great, big, booming voice of the Father say, This is my Son. Listen to Him. Oh. Oh, oh maybe this isn't about me doing something. Maybe this is about me seeing something. Maybe this is about me hearing something. Because isn't it easy for us to get all wrapped up in our self-devised righteous plans? Our, I'm going to do this for God because God can't do this on his own? Isn't it easy for us to get confused? Our works and his being. And that's not to say that we shouldn't work. It's not to say that we should spend our lives on the ground, but Lent is kind of a moment. Transfiguration is kind of a moment. A moment that tells us to stop. A moment that tells us to listen. A moment that tells us that maybe waiting is hard, but maybe waiting is worth it. Maybe that question that we've been asking God needs to wait. Maybe that gift that we're asking God for needs to wait. Maybe that clarity that we're asking God for needs to wait. Maybe God is having us wait so that we can better listen to him. Because we're used to working. 
We're used to working because we're used to living in a sinful world. We're used to working because we're used to working in a place where we work out of the frustration of our souls. And so anytime that we find that there is something there to do, we go, I need to go and do that. I need to put that on my to-do list. I need to do whatever. But sometimes God's answer to that is be terrified. Because isn't that the worst thing about waiting? Is the terror that comes up. Isn't that what drove Peter to say, Lord, I want to make some tents so that I know that you're happy with me, so that I know that, that you love me, so I, I can offer something to you so that we, I can feel like we're, we're okay? Isn't the terror inside of us the thing that keeps us from waiting so much of the time? And that terror finds its home in a breaking of the first commandment. That first commandment that says you shall have no other gods before me. That first commandment that says that you should recognize that your God, the God who loves you, the God who is God over the entire universe loves you. And when you start to distrust that he loves you, you start to look for other gods. And those gods are terrifying. Those gods force you to work. Those gods don't give you a break. Those gods make you feel as if you're not enough. But here is the God, the Christ, the one who is transformed before you, transfigured before you on this mountain, who then stops all of his glory for just the moment of coming to you and saying, do not fear, rise up. May you this week, no matter what your other Lenten plans are, May you embrace the difficult discipline of waiting and looking and listening. Amen.